Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette, and I am the tech editor here at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting across from me, again, as usual, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. And to all our new listeners, hello for the first time. For the last time. Yes. Okay. Never again. <laughs> Let's start off with a little listener mail. This listener mail comes from Brandon from Iowa City, and Brandon says, I just listened to your show about online productivity, and it made me think of another topic. If you haven't done it already, a show about HTML5 would be pretty interesting. I have only heard a little bit about it, but it sounds as if it would add some new functionality between the Internet and the user. I really enjoy the show, but have two suggestions. So listen up, Chris. All right, I got it. Number one, it is most enjoyable when you stay focused on a topic for 15 to 20. I'm assuming he means minutes. But I guess we can interpret that however we like. Okay. And number two, if I, I fall into the camp of preferring the calm version of listener mail, keep up the good work, Brandon. Brandon. Sorry about that, Brandon. Well, Brandon, um, don't worry. I'm doing the calm version of listener mail because 
uh, as much as I know the people who, who love the old version love it, uh, they don't yell at me like the, everyone else does. So, yeah. <laughs> and of course, I mean, I can't really blame them. I, I yelled first. So HTML5. Yes. You know, there almost wasn't an HTML5. In fact, I did know that. Uh, let's, let's do a little trip down memory lane with HTML. We're gonna, uh, the actual, the time machine's in the shop. So oh. we're not gonna be able to take a trip that today. All right. Um, turns out somebody used it to go and mess up the Magna Carta signing in 1215. That was me. Um, so <laughs> anyway, so what HTML, let's, let's, from the very beginning, we go back to CERN. Oh, yes. Yes, CERN. You know, CERN's the same. C-E-R-N. Yes. Same organization that oversees the Large Hadron Collider. Uh-huh. So when they're not trying to destroy the universe, CERN uh, is trying to do – about that. I, I am the first to tell you that the Large Hadron Collider is not going to destroy the universe. Okay. That was, that was just a joke. Okay. But uh, Tim Berners-Lee mm-hmm. works at CERN, and Tim Berners-Lee is the guy who you may know as the father of the World Wide Web. Yes. And so a lot of the early development for the markup language, the hypertext markup language, or HTML, was done at CERN. Mm -hmm. So for the first couple of years, really, that's actually for the first, I'd say, five years, that's that's where most of the development came from. Um, Yes. I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry to interrupt. But I was uh, was going to point out that that HTML, um, there's actually – a markup language that predates HTML. Yes. Called SGML, which mm-hmm. is a uh, standard generalized markup language. Right. And, um, basically SGML is this really, um, extensible, complex system that allows you to define what a markup language actually is. Um, I actually got that. So it's, it's roughly meta, paraphrased meta. from the uh, W3C. Right, right. But um but yeah, I mean it's it's serious it's it's got the ability to uh describe all kinds of elements and things. Um and I think if I'm not mistaken that uh, Mr. Berners-Lee wanted to create sort of a a, a simplified version of SGML that had certain de- predefined elements because mm. uh for any version of SGML, you actually have to explain how the markup works. And HTML is a solidified preset group of, of elements. Right, right. It, it's, it's a set of, uh, of different tags and, and, uh, ways to describe how something needs, needs to look mm-hmm. that, um, is recognizable universally. Yes. Uh, that, that was the whole point of it. It's a set of standards so that everyone can use the same sort of tags to get the same sort of effect. You don't have to reinvent the wheel every time you want to display something on the web. Mm-hmm. And that's really what markup language is all about. It's, it's not necessarily the, uh, the content that you're seeing on the web, but how that content is presented to you. Yes. Uh, whether it's in a certain font, a certain color, what kinds of uh, images might be there, how the images are aligned on the page. All of this ultimately goes back to HTML mm-hmm. and to an extent uh, XML, extensible markup language. Well, XML is also a derivative of SGML yes. as well. Yeah. Um, and it is more uh, extensible, but it's, it's more customizable. You can do a lot more with it. Um, in the case of SGML and XML, uh, what you have to do is you have to, as I said before, define what these, these tags are. Right. Um, they rely on a, a document type definition or DTD, uh, to some degree to explain, um, you know, if you want to create your own tag, that's fine. 
but you have to explain what to the computer what that tag is supposed to do when right. it makes Otherwise it happen. Otherwise, it's just meaningless. Right. Exactly. Well, HTML is is a, basically a set document type definition to where there is a certain subset of elements and and tags um, that are you know preset in the document type that everyone can use. So it's not really customizable by the end user right. as much as XML would. For be. example, in HTML, B is going to mean bold, and slash B means in bold. Right. And that's that's predefined uh, definition. As opposed to XML where you could create a tag that before you you define it really doesn't mean anything at all. Right. It's only after you define it that the computer can interpret it and then display whatever it is you want, however it is you want it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So get, getting back to HTML. So right. the first few years, it's it's over at CERN and then the, the IETF then moves to W3C once that gets formed. Mm-hmm. And we That's get up to – the uh, World Wide Web Consortium. Yes, and uh, it's a it's an organization um, that works to standardize these sort of things. We get up to HTML 3.0 uh, and then 3.2, which uh, comes out in 97. Mm-hmm. And then in 98, you get HTML 4, which is really pretty much what we're using now. Yep. And, uh, HTML- and that's where it was supposed to have stopped. Yeah. The W3C decided at that point that we had pretty much gone as far as we needed to go with HTML and that we could – if we wanted to go further, we needed to concentrate on other markup languages including XML. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh. XML was supposed to be the the new thing. Right. Um, of course, it wasn't actually new at that point, but it, they wanted to transition everybody over to that. And then development started on XHTML. Right. Um, and everybody thought that that was going to be it. But as it turns out, um, some, uh, some pretty heavy hitters got into, um, the, got the idea into their heads that they wanted to try to bring back HTML in a brand new way. They right. wanted to, they, they didn't like X, X HTML as much. Well, part of the problem was that, um, as, as is said in the W3C website, uh, XML's deployment as a web technology, I'm quoting here, yeah, yeah. was limited to entirely new technologies like RSS and later Atom, mm-hmm. rather than as a replacement for existing deployed technologies like HTML, which meant that you're just getting, you're bulking up. You're having to add more mm-hmm. and more markup languages to achieve what you want as opposed to revolutionizing the, the basic standard so it includes everything and it's more elegant. Yes. Um, so it's getting more and more chaotic. Uh, and as you said, the heavy hitters decided they wanted to go and look at develop further developing the HTML standard uh, rather than adding new standards. Those heavy hitters included Apple and Mozilla and Opera. Mm-hmm. And um, that would be the what WG, yeah, the uh, Web would... Hypertext Application Technology Working Group. Yeah, yeah, because boy, if there's one thing engineers are good at, it's coming up with acronyms. Oh yes, so. Uh, I'm just kidding. I know we probably have some yeah. engineers out there. You guys are awesome. Then we're going to get into the uh, the whole acronym versus. Yes, you know, I thing. know. Well, Watwig. I pronounced it. Okay. So it's an acronym. Watwig. So it's an acronym now. There you go. We've acronymed it. Yes. It has been acronymified. Uh, now, originally, the W3C had nothing to do with HTML5. No, that's right. They were pretty much saying, no, we are done. We're not going to do any more work on this. Uh, you guys go ahead and do your own thing, but we're we're not wasting time on that. Mm-hmm. But as time went on, the W3C kind of uh, – the, the organization reconsidered its position mm-hmm. on the whole HTML5 question. And it was about in 2006 they 
said that maybe they did want to kind of participate in the development of the standard. And in uh, 2007, they formed a group that works with Watwig mm-hmm. to develop HTML5. So what is HTML5 all about? Well, there are a lot of, um, a lot of things on the web that you cannot view in a browser without first downloading some sort of plugin. Yep. Right. So lots of video formats, lots of things like that. Um, where if you were to get a browser, a a brand new browser, especially an older version that doesn't have these things pre-built into them, Mm -hmm. um, you would go to a page and it would tell you you couldn't view that stuff until you first installed a plugin. And so you may have seen this with things like Shockwave, Flash Players, all this mm-hmm. sort of stuff. Yeah, Real Player. Um, Real Player. Yeah, there's there's dozens all and dozens of, of like them that. to the point where that's actually a security concern mm-hmm. because uh, you know you you might encounter a page that tells you there's something on there that you can't view because you don't have the latest plugin of whatever. But yeah. in reality, the plugin is not a plugin; it's malware, and so you download it, and then your computer is corrupted, and and uh, you end up looking at the screen and cursing a lot. Right. And this happens fairly, well, frequently. I won't say often, but frequently enough where it is a legitimate concern. Now, HTML5 would take a lot of that worry out because it would build into it support for a lot of the functions that we see on the web now. It wouldn't necessarily give you support to access those tools as they exist. It would kind of recreate the same experience Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying HTML5 supports Flash. I'm saying that HTML5 will have uh, definitions in it for web video yes. and, and web animation so that uh, you wouldn't have to use Flash, which would be great for people who use things like mobile phones, smartphones that don't have Flash support. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't have to build Flash support into these devices. They would just have to be compatible with, with HTML5. Well, um uh- and you really kind of hit on why I've seen the probably the biggest reason that I've seen so many people uh, excited about HTML5. Um, and it's kind of funny to me because, you know, I've been using HTML um, for coding since HTML2. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm to see uh, the, the standard change, it really sort of passes without or, you know, at least in my experience is passed sort of without comment. Like, oh, well, we've got some some new tags. We can go ahead and we can add this functionality. Um, but HTML5, people people are actually talking about it. People are actually sort of excited about it. And I think it's the the two tags that I've seen most people excited about are the video and the audio tag. Right. Um, and this is basically going to allow people to embed uh, multimedia files in the page without having to rely on the plugins, as Jonathan mentioned. And, and it could, the weird thing about this is, at least weird to me, is that it's, it's sort of flexible. You don't necessarily have to have a certain type of video, like it's only going to support this one. It, they're, it, they're still working on that. And right. we should, actually, we should have pointed that out probably a while back. This isn't a, uh, a fully formed specification yet. They're still tweaking it and probably will be for a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they're working on ways to actually uh, embed the the multimedia elements of a web page directly into the HTML, and there are a lot of things that you'll be able to do with it um, that you couldn't do with HTML because, frankly, HTML was not meant to do what we do with it on the web anyway, which is why we have plugins and right, things like right. Flash. Yeah, because in order to have the the really rich user experiences that we expect on the web. 
web developers have pretty much had to force that mm-hmm. into the web because the, the the markup language of the web was not designed to present that kind of experience to the user. Um, but you know, through some ingenuity, we've when when I say we, obviously, I don't mean myself. I've never actually developed any of these tools, but engineers develop tools that would allow you to see things on the web that otherwise you know, you'd never get a chance to to get a look at. Mm-hmm. And uh, as we mentioned before, even even if you are careful and you don't accidentally download malware because uh, you tried to download a plugin that it wasn't really a plugin, mm-hmm. uh, plugins still cause a uh, they can still be a, a security risk. Yes, they can still uh, create vulnerabilities in a browser security. So, uh, getting rid of plugins is kind of a good thing from a security point of view. Um, I'm not sure that the companies that designed these plugins would necessarily agree. Mm-hmm. I wonder how companies like Adobe and Microsoft view mm-hmm. HTML5. How many of them will support that that particular standard? Because you've got Products like Flash, you've got products like Silverlight. Um, these are, are in a way, competing with HTML5 or what HTML5 will ultimately be. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and, you know, real networks, all that kind of stuff. You've got all these different uh, um, standards or plugins out there that HTML5, if, if people actually adopt it on a widespread scale, will effectively replace. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, um, Two of the, the formats that I've seen people talk about, too, um, are the AUG formats, which are open source video and audio. Um, AUG Vorbis is the audio file. It, it's more or less – it's not exactly, so don't start writing me with nasty grams. It's more or less the equivalent of an MP3 file. It's encoded differently mm-hmm. uh, than an MP3 file, and there are no royalties to be paid, unlike the case of MPEG-1 Audio Layer 3. Um, but um, – there's also the video file, which is uh, Og Theora. And um, a lot of people are saying this is going to be a way where we can em- embed these types of files into an HTML page and not have to worry about the licensing fees and, the, and all that, that that go into uh, to creating these files. We don't have to, to do that anymore. Um, and I think that's it's going to bring a lot of functionality right to a web page. Um Without having to, to do all that stuff. And that's, that's probably the coolest thing about it. I, I, I think a lot of people, for a lot of people, once it actually goes into practice and there's an adopted HTML5 standard and the web browsers all support it, obviously with people like, uh, Mozilla and Apple and Opera already on board with the idea in the first place, they're going to support it right off the bat. Right. Um, but when I, I, the average person probably isn't going to care because he or she is not necessarily going to notice that much of a difference. Um, Unless they're using smartphones to access the web, in which case they're going to notice that a lot more websites are, um, have that kind of content. Have, yeah, have features like there. The other day I was trying to look up a restaurant's website on my phone. And because my phone also does not uh, support flash, it just, it came up with the, the dreaded broken box with the question mark. Mm hmm. And uh, and that was very frustrating for me because all I wanted was to take a quick look at this menu, but they had d- designed it in a Flash format as opposed to just a regular text format or or PDF file or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, to be able to access just simple things like that, and that's that's 
not even counting things like web video. Most web video I can't view either. I can view YouTube because I've got a YouTube application on my phone. But, yes. Um, otherwise, I, I can't view Flash-based video. Right. And uh, it, it, there are a lot – most of the mobile uh, smartphone operating system designers are working on – Incorporating Flash at least on some level in their their operating systems, they're working with Adobe, mm-hmm. but uh, that development is in various stages depending on which OS you're talking about. And some of them are dragging their heels a lot more than others. For example, <clears throat> Apple uh, has been notoriously slow to uh, to work with Adobe to get Flash on the iPhone. Yes. But then if Apple is really, really eager to, to push the HTML5 standard, perhaps that's the reason why. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It does make you wonder if, how that's going to affect uh, uh, sites that you heavily use plug-in features right now. Are right. they going to adjust to HTML5 eventually or will they cling to the old model? Like is YouTube going to change over to an HTML5? How massive an undertaking would it be to switch everything over? You still have to have the individual files, too. Yeah, yeah. So it, it may be it may be easier than you think. Maybe we'd, we'd have to have a uh, an insight that we don't have currently right. into the uh, the back end of how all that works. That's true. Um, but for all of you HTML heads, people who actually are coding in HTML or and really haven't gotten into it, um, there are also going to be some other really nice, um, really nice features to HTML five that you didn't have before. Like uh, if you've used HTML. Uh, for you're familiar with the div tag, which is a, a division, a, basically a section of the page. Well, HTML5 is designed to have, to allow you to make better specification of, of sections of the page. They're gonna, they're tags for, uh, at least at the moment in the current specification for things like section and header, footer, um, you know, article. So you can better have outlined in your HTML document how and where you want things to go. Um, and there's also going to be some uh, some other block elements that you're going to be able to use to give you better control, and even even elements in the middle of a page um, that will let you highlight things um, and make things stand out. Little just ways of of drawing attention to text that you didn't have in previous versions of HTML, which is uh, going to be nice for people to to add. Um, I don't know, I guess some, some depth to straight HTML because, you know, after all, that's one of the problems with, uh, sites that are heavily dependent on things like plugins. I mean, HTML is not, in its current state, is not designed to provide that kind of functionality. So they rely on these files, flash files, for example, are, are significantly larger than you might see a straight HTML file, which is essentially text, just text. Mm-hmm. So, um, mm-hmm. you're going to be able to add that kind of, of, um, functionality without having to rely on larger files. So it, it probably will help pages load more quickly as well. Um, but like I said, they're, they're still hashing all this stuff out and it's going to be a little bit before we know, uh, what the final set is, um, going to look like. They're also removing some of the tags. Things like strike through will no longer be there and uh, what? TT, no. the typewriter text. Um, you know, and then, you know, hopefully they will, there will be something that will reach out the can, screen and punch you in the eye if you try to use the marquee tag, because I personally am against the marquee tag. If they, if they strike drop shadow from the face of the world, <laughs> that would be awesome. Um, which is not really – don't write to me. If I'm you, making a joke. <laughs> if, you're a, if you're not an HTML 
coder and wanted to know what it was I just said. The marquee tag is that tag that everybody started using right after it became popular in Internet Explorer where um, – if you encode something with a marquee tag, it's the tag that lets text scroll from right to left across your screen so it looks like a news ticker. Yeah, I like the uh, – oh, I just think about those web pages from circa, I don't know, 1994 or so. Yeah, that had it's about around when it animated really Animated GIF file. The, the blink sc- tag. The blink tag, the scrolling, the uh, MIDI that loops oh, and yeah. there's no control to turn it off. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I designed one of those. Yeah, well, I think we all did, the, yeah. those of us who were doing that back if in If it day. makes you guys feel any better uh, to know this, I mean, yes, I did contribute to some of the most awful website design on the web back in the early days. But if it makes you feel any better, it took a lot of work to make it that yeah. bad. Because back then you would look at a page of, of text with all these tags around it. You would have to save it, then upload it, then open a browser and look at it, realize that, hey, wait, that's not nearly as hideous as I thought it was going to be. I'm going to need to do some more work on this. Close it, <laughs> open it back up, make those changes, save it again. So it took a lot of work to really make one of the worst web pages ever, yeah. which, by the way, I have to admit, back in the day, I thought was pretty cool. Yeah. I didn't yeah. realize it was as bad as it was until, you know, years later when I thought back on it and thought, wow, I'm so glad I don't remember the URL for that. Yeah. Because I don't want to be able to use the Internet Archive to find it. Well, I'm interested in, in actually starting to mess with it once I get some free time to. Wait, yeah, okay, wait, uh, wait the so... what? No, I. There's I'm... free time now? <laughs> Not for me. When did we get that? Uh, no, but I'm I'm interested in seeing uh, how it'll work to actually mess around with HTML5. You can actually there are some browsers that do support some versions of the HTML5 code, and as you can it stands and, now. yeah, as it stands now, and you can and you can mess with it uh, some yourself if you're interested in doing so. I would encourage you to. It's it's interesting and fun to to make a web page, uh, even as horrible as the ones that Jonathan and I made back in 19. 19- 97. We both believe that you guys can do way I'm, better. I'm sure you can. Yeah, the, the sure tools you that can. you have and the knowledge that you have far outstrips what we had to work with back then. Yeah. But, um, but this is going to be, this is going to be a good thing. And I think it's going to enable more people to, uh, to do more with it. And it's going to be more open. Uh, there are less, you know, fewer proprietary standards. More people will support it, which is good. Yeah, so. I always think that pushes innovation. Yeah. Well, that's a good discussion. Uh, do you have anything else you want to add? Not really. I mean, All not right. without getting into the, the nuts and bolts, which yeah. can get kind of dry. Um, right. I, if you're interested in learning more about HTML5, go to w3c.org. Um, and there is pretty much all you can eat. Uh, yeah. Info about the standard, the definitive and, um, document on the standard. Really, there's also a good uh, article about it on the IBM website that explains some of the differences between HTML5 and and its predecessors. Um, so you know, be, feel free to check that out too, because um, it's it's a little to get into right now. But but it, uh, if you're really interested in it, it may be worth your time. All right, so this brings us to our second round of listener mail. This listener mail comes from Elliot, who's from Wallington, United Kingdom. You know what that means. Actually, I'm going to flip a coin. Please don't. So, heads, it's the fake British accent. Tails, it's normal accent. Tails, oh, you guys are lucky this time. Uh, thank you, lucky two-tailed coin. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what? Jip. All right, so here, here is the email. 
Hi, guys. Just finished listening to your podcast on how social networks could be used to affect social change and was reminded of a recent example. Over here in the UK, a Facebook group was created to try and make Rage Against the Machines killing in the name the Christmas number one as as supposed or as opposed, I think, as opposed to the latest offerings from Simon Cowell's X Factor. The campaign received a massive amount of national news coverage and ultimately achieved its goal, bringing a little bit of Rage's trademark anarchy to the usually uneventful Christmas chart race. Rage's bass player Tom Morello, already a keen advocate of affecting social change, was so struck by the strength and momentum of the campaign that he pledged that a portion of the money raised from sales of the record would go to Shelter, a charity for the homeless that does an awful lot for the destitute during the festive period. Unsurprisingly, the same Rage fans who helped make the Christmas one uh, make the Christmas one were keen to take up Morello's cause and set up a site where they too could donate to shelter. To date, they are just five thousand pounds short of having donated one hundred thousand pounds, and donations are still coming in. Perhaps this is a good example of an event that only came about as a result of social networking that you were speculating about at the end of the podcast. Keep up the good work, guys. Cheers, Elliot. And, uh, yeah, it's a pretty good example. I, I did write back to Elliot and explain that, you know, that, that kind of started off more as a prank. It was more of a, a, almost like a protest saying that these were people who kind of opposed, uh, Simon Cowell's project and, yeah. you know, the, that, that's and what the, that represents. Yeah. Sorry was, to interrupt. I'm, I didn't mean to. I'm no, no, just going to say ahead. that was the, the vibe I was getting too when I saw that on there was yeah. that they were really trying to see if they could mess with it. I believe this is what my English friends would refer to as taking the piss out of something. Um, they were taking the piss out of Simon Cowell's X Factor. So uh, the idea here is that they, they were just kind of thumbing their noses. But it ended up being a, a, an event that did create social change. Um, it's not really what I was looking for as a good example simply because it didn't start out that way. Uh, I'm so, certainly glad it ended up that way, though. So that was an excellent email. If any of you would like to send us excellent email, you may do so by writing us at techstuff at howstuffworks.com. Check out our blogs. Check out our live show on Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern. Uh, there are lots of ways you can learn way more about us than you ever wanted to. Follow us on Twitter. Anyway, if, if none of that sounds appealing to you, stick around. We'll be back again to talk to you really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. And be sure to check out the new Tech Stuff blog, now on the HowStuffWorks homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... (laughs) 
Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.